clubhouse. Welcome back to Escaping Gilead. This is Paul. This is Caroline. Today we're going to talk about the sixth episode of the fourth season of Hulu's The Handmaid's Tale. This one was called Vows. Let's take a close look, first of all, at the flashbacks. There were just four of them, and they center around June's early life with Luke after they've decided to get married and then beyond that a little bit and how that interplays with Moira. And their relationship, I feel like, between Moira and June. I had forgotten that they were roommates, so it was good just to see them even having that moment. I loved the little small moment of them looking out the window and it's like completely sunny outside and they're like, boy, it's really coming down. It's too bad we just have to stay inside and like talk and drink wine and whatnot. Have you ever stolen a roommate's belonging because you were pissed at them while when you were moving out? Ooh, I don't think so. I've had a couple of different roommates. I don't think so. Not on purpose. We had like four roommates in college. Could I have taken someone's like Tupperware on accident when we were packing up? Yeah, I could have done that. But no, I don't think so. I actually was probably the one who brought like the most stuff into the like group space, if you will. Like I- Into the group space. I can agree with that. Most stuff overall goes to someone else. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, totally, totally, totally. No, but like into the like the communal space, which could be like, you know, snatched. The majority of stuff actually belonged to me because my mom is a fantastic shopper and absolutely wanted us to have everything. For goodness sakes, do you remember like hanging up the old laundry room like shelf with the closet rod so that everyone could hang up their coats when they came in. Because if we live in Texas, you guys, that is about one of the silliest things we could have ever done. Right. We need coats for about a month. Uh, it was so funny. Yeah. I don't know what we were thinking. I guess it was our bag drop area as well. Yeah, no, I was like that. Like I was very into like interior design and stuff. So all the things there were really mine. How about you? Are you a snatcher? I only had roommates for a little bit and I didn't, you know, none of their shit was worth the effort. <laughs> uh, Y'all's places, like a multiple apartments you had, they were all pretty sparse. <laughs> right. It was my PlayStation. So that would be like, yeah, the, there you go. The prize <laughs> jewel. Other than that, they were furnished apartments. Uh, so the government issued couch and <laughs> stuff, right. you know, like it wasn't there was fancy. No woman's touch. As they <laughs> no, say. no, 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 no. Well, these scenes give us a, a background to create some of the tension that I personally didn't feel as coming through as relates to the title of the show, The Vows, because we're trying to create this idea of Luke, as we'll talk about in a minute, whether or not June feels okay to come back to Gilead without Hannah, the idea of like promises made, vows, and then casting some shade on Luke because he had to leave one wife to pick up June in the first place and and all that stuff. And and how the, the idea that, well, if you promised her, how come your promise to me counts, you know? Yeah, which is pretty fair. I mean, I have seen a lot of people say things like, you know, Luke is like once a cheater, always a cheater, you know, so that June shouldn't expect that he would be loyal to her, which, you know, that's not the Luke we've seen on camera. That's not the actions we've seen him take. But I understand. And having a best friend and having her say like, hey, you know, are you sure you're making the right decision? Like he actively, you know, cheated with you. You know, are you sure? Are you sure you're doing the right thing? I think it was important that we went back to the vows part, mainly because 
when she was saying like for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, you know, uh, in sickness and health, because I think she was alluding to the idea that they couldn't have kids and that that was some sort of line in the sand and, and actually caused like a lot of strain in their marriage. And so I was thinking that it was kind of, uh, like the vows were related to the line for you. And so in this case, would the fact that June came back without Hannah, would that be a line that Luke felt like she crossed in some way? Like she didn't live up to the promise and it was a deal breaker. Like she couldn't come back and they couldn't have like a relationship again. That's, I know it's kind of a twisted way and it's kind of a long way to go, but I think you could extrapolate that out, the promises and the deal breaker line. And I looked at it, on the timeline, the opposite direction. Like I just said, the idea that, you know, you said the vows to someone else, but they didn't count now for some some reason. Now they do with me. And that's, to me, that seemed like a very bitter pill to feed him because you're like moving your shit in. I would expect, like, if, if I was Luke, I'd be like, you didn't reconcile that with yourself already before we got to this point when we're moving in your shit? Well, I don't think it's... Uh, see, uh, to me, I think that she had, but I think Moira and her hadn't had that go round. You know, that was seemed to be like the first time Moira was like, you know what? I actually have an issue with this portion. Um, and it, it didn't seem like it was maybe the first time she said something a little catty about it because it wasn't fresh ground. Like June wasn't like, what in the world are you talking about? Like, it wasn't like that. It was like, this is my last ditch effort to kind of wake my friend up and be like, are you sure this is the right thing to do? You know, and yeah. I, and, 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 you know, from a best friend standpoint, I haven't been on the side of Moira. I've been on the side of June where I'm the one moving out to move on with my boyfriend or husband, but I've had that person who's staying behind be kind of angry about the fact that I was moving on, going to that sort of next stage of life and they weren't yet and, or they were feeling abandoned or, you know, betrayed in some way. Like I was choosing that over our friendship. Tough shit. <laughs> well, it's just the next stage of life for, I mean, for myself, it was the next stage of life. I mean, I was, you know, like graduating and moving on and got a job in another city. Like, I mean, it was the next step. It wasn't anything like, you know, I was, I was purposely abandoning, you know, the situation. It's not like I left mid lease or left anyone in a lurch, not like that. That idea of like, we had each other as roommates and friends. And then now I was like the first one to be leaving. Yeah. Well, all that plays in to, I think, the mental gymnastics June plays later on in her life and elsewhere in this episode. I, I thought it was also an important flashback where we have her actually announce to Luke that she's pregnant and that, you know, we have all those little pieces of when Hannah was born and them being at the aquarium and the beach and all that. It was a good reminder because this has been a lot of seasons later since we've seen them as a family. So it makes sense to me that there would be a little refresher course for all of us who was like, you know, she's mourning this, but it's been seven years, as was pointed out in this episode. I don't know that, you know, I really remember exactly what that family life looked like anymore. So I think that this was a smart idea on the writer's part. And I think it was helpful probably for the audience to feel a little bit more loss of Hannah because we remembered her as a little wee one. I mean, it had been a long time since I saw her little face. We've only really gotten a taste of Hannah family life. Clips, never really like a whole show. So you're right. 
And to, to also remind everybody, the, the reason the world exists the way it does is the low birth rate. So the idea right. of being pregnant, it's, still it's a lot of weight. There. Yeah. And it's still got to be there, I think, as much as Lawrence tried to tell us, you know, the that childbearing and doing all that stuff that you guys are doing with the handmaids. That's all just a distraction. I appreciate that. But on a larger global scale, we had heard from like the Mexican diplomat and like different people who had come into the scene that this is a global issue. So her being pregnant I mean, that's really something to celebrate, not just for her and Luke, but like just humanity's sake. Like they were like, yes, like it's bigger than even we could appreciate right now. All that stuff piles into what is happening back in Chicago following the bombing that we pick up on right after it happens with Moira and June finding each other in the smoke covered debris strewn alleyway where June has landed following the concussion blast of the bomb. Yes. And so I want to give major kudos to you because you really called it on this entire episode about how this was going to play out. And the remainder of the non-flashback portion is really a bottle episode. I mean, we really get just this very small story between June and Moira. Yes, there's a, you know, a little bit with Una and we definitely are going to talk about that. But primarily this is about their trust with one another and what they're willing to do for one another, you know, in these, mm -hmm. in these moments. And so it was very compact and tension filled. I mean, there was a lot of moments where I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I don't know what this chick's going to do, but you really called it on the back and forth headbutting of you're going to listen this time. I've, I stood down for too many other arguments and they kind of showed that again, going back to that flashback. I mean, like Moira stood down, you know, and allowed mm -hmm. that, allowed it to move forward. And it, you know, in theory turned out fine. You know, I mean, we don't know ultimately how the relationship will turn out, but, but right now, I mean, I think we got our initial moments answered. My concern from last episode, which is, is this all a dream? Is Moira really there? What a surprise that she really, really was. And that June really didn't even recognize her. I have in my notes that she was uh, shell-shocked for m most of this episode, concussed, all the stuff that goes along with having seen hor something horrible and received a, a, a bell ringing. If you're kind of rationalizing or trying to figure out why are they there, what's going on and all that, I think I can help. Even though Chicago is a contested area, since Gilead basically lays claim to the, you know, the continental United States, the lower 48, they still consider it theirs. It's just that they're fighting to to drive out whoever doesn't go along with the program. And I think also to secure those borders. Yeah, all that, all that stuff. And so when they say that they need to follow these specific rules or they'll never be able to come back, I'm speaking about the relief workers. That's because they are actually in Gilead, even though there's still all those resistance fighters in it. So that consider themselves American and not something else. I really did not realize that they were in Gilead until uh, later when we were on the boat and that was revealed. And I mean, I think even with June, her eyes were like, Whoa, because I don't think that that was totally clear what you just said. Like, I thought this was truly contested. Absolutely. Like, we don't know. Nobody really claims this territory exactly. But that's not true. I mean, Gilead seems to 100% have a border and have some amount of authority. As far as the international community and that kind of stuff, yes. Yeah, they, which was pretty surprising to me. I was surprised. But anyway, let's take a look at June's story section by section, starting with right after the bombing. Okay. Did they give up on Janine too quickly? 
That's a fair question. I think it was probably reasonable to assume there could be another bomb coming and that they needed to get out of the area. Moira was pretty accurate in her quick assessment that June needed medical care. So given those two things like eminent danger and active medical care needed, I think that it was fair to say we need to go uh, and another people will be here to try to find Janine. What did you think about the fact that Moira lied and said, I know where Janine is. Come on, I'll like take take you to her. Well, it wasn't a full on lie. It was maybe, you know, 33% lie. <laughs> I think it was, uh, you could hide behind it later and say it was a fair assumption that Janine could be over at the medical tent. That's where people were congregating. Right. If someone found her, right. that is or where she would be. If she stumbled out for help. That's where people are congregating. Yeah. So it wasn't exactly a lie, but it was more, she wasn't going to be able to just restrain and redirect June bodily. You know, she had to reason with her and June was not thinking straight at all and, and, and wouldn't for most of this episode. Yeah. She was like very stunned, which I'm sure the shock of it all, but then, you know, also just how we were talking about, you know, recognizing Moira, you know, it, it made me actually have a little bit more insight into Hannah when she, quote unquote, doesn't recognize June, I actually kind of have a moment because I'm like, wait a minute, June didn't recognize Moira. So we, you know, it's being chalked up like that, that Hannah can't possibly even remember her mother when in reality it was like, no, I think it's so disorienting in that situation. Both of them have gone through so much that I think it's plausible to hold out hope that Given a little bit of time, just like in this episode, finally you see June have that light bulb moment like, oh, my God, I know who you are. I think Hannah could have that, too. I never recognize people out of context. I, I have a very hard time, especially I'll tell you this, and it's so silly. If uh, women have their hair down or if they have their hair back, that's my almost most difficult time. You know that I am pretty decent at recognizing individual facial features. Like if we see an actor and I say, oh, they played a mom on a weird after school special at some point. Like I can kind of remember that. But but that pulled back hair versus hair down. I don't know. It gets me every time. What What did I say to you? How Moira should try to uh, be more recognizable. Take her hat off. I said she should take her hat off because I need that. I need your hair to play into recognizing your face. Isn't that funny? It is funny, but I need like the whole like rest of the picture too. So like (laughs) you need their name on a name tag. (laughs) Right. If I met you as a teacher, then I need a classroom surrounding your face. If I met you at work, I need work surrounding you. If I see you at the store after that, I don't even need a bomb. To have gone off well, and to you not know, know. That must be true because you and I have lived in the same community for over 20 years. We have many, many, many friends on, you know, Facebook and in in outings that we've gone places with people. And yet in 20 plus years, I've never seen someone I recognized at the grocery store. How could that possibly be? I have to have stood next to a neighbor or a friend or something and just not recognized them. It's not it's not statistically possible for those many years to have not been in the same store with people I recognize. It's not. It's totally not. But it's like in public, I'm like, everyone's a stranger. And yet I grew up here and know everyone. So the rightness and the wrongness of getting or sneaking uh, June onto the boat. Okay. This is an ongoing discussion throughout most of this episode. And there are a couple different perspectives. There is Moira. This is my best friend. There is Una, the leader of the relief workers or the refugee workers saying, 
this could screw up our arrangement with Gilead. You've got to just kind of, you know, rationalize the idea that, okay, well, that may screw that up. But on the bigger scale, the larger scale, for June, who is widely acknowledged as the architect of angel flight, to now be in Canada has got a big got to be a big like F you to Gilead in a good way that the that Canada would want to have. You know what I mean? I think it definitely plays out both good and bad. I think it's definitely a middle finger and you can look at that middle finger like haha and you look at that middle finger as like, oh, this is gonna start World War Three now, you know, because because yeah middle fingers do. She's middle fingers have a way. <laughs> but yeah, I mean I agree with you. If I'm standing between the those container ship uh, the, the containers waiting at that border, which they did a pretty good job of showing the chaos of the border with people trying to get to the boat and everything. I felt so bad for those people because we know they had made it all the way there. Like we know what the Mayday trail of houses and everything those people would have had to have done to have gotten to that point and then not be able to get on the boat. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, like this, this is terrible. Every time they shook that fence, I was like, oh man, oh man, like it's definitely going over. And I don't know about you, Paul, but I, would you have jumped into the water and tried to get to the boat? I'm not a strong swimmer. I don't know. I don't know, man. The, like it's hard to imagine, but relief worker is not the same as immigration person. <laughs> you know, like they're not there to migrate what Gilead considers to be their citizens to Canada. They're not there to do that. They're right. only there to feed them, patch them up, things that, that Gilead apparently isn't willing to do for them. They were never going to take anyone, regardless of if they shoved off right then or shoved off on schedule. They were never taking anyone. I kind of wonder, though, like if, if someone dove into the water and, and anybody saw them do that, I, you don't think they'd stop the boat and like just out of like, again, because they are there for humanitarian efforts, they don't save the person, they let them drown? It's a good question. I Man, I'm jumping in the water because you're that close. You got that close. I just think I couldn't. I couldn't. I don't want to drown, but I also, I mean, but ah. Uh. So we're between those shipping containers. Did you think June was going to get on the boat? I mean, this is the exact conversation you predicted. Boy, man, it was really touchy there. Touch and go, as they say. Without Moira there, without Moira having that history there, without Moira being able to pull on her own life with Luke and um, Nicole, June would not have gotten on that boat. It was only Moira and her willing to, it's not fight dirty, but use every tool she had mm -hmm. um, that got her on the boat. Does that answer your question? Like, like I needed, it was only Moira. It, no one else could have done it. Yeah, it answers my question. I, I was still scared. I mean, June was so adamant. At that point, it was all about Janine and not leaving her behind, which I respect. Of course, there was all, there's always a sprinkling of Hannah in there, but this was a lot about Janine because in theory, she could have been right there at the medical tent or could have been right there, you know, in the, the crowd of people at the at the fence. We, we didn't really know. So I, I can respect her not wanting, but man, it's, it's really a fascinating study in this like Stockholm Syndrome kidnapped people's mindset about leaving people behind and the survivor guilt of it all and running away from a terrible place, even though you know you're leaving people behind. Do you go? Do you not? Every single time, I feel like the answer is you have to go. You can send help back, but if you stay in, you're all in. <laughs> yeah. Somebody's got to start the, the out. Thank 
God, she got on that boat. Oh, my God. But then we run into this next issue with Una because we don't know that we're in Gilead water and we don't know that we actually have to go through an inspection of the boat. My stomach was like, no. And they bothered to say stem to stern. I was like, oh, my God. How what are they going to do with her? Where are they going to hide her now? We're back in a tanker, you know, back under the ship somewhere. Like, what is going to happen now? Well, didn't didn't Moira notice when they were stopped on the way in? Wouldn't Gilead want them to not come? in with things that they didn't say that they were bringing in, like maybe they were bringing in guns and grenades and fighters and shit like that. Wouldn't they want to stop that on the way in? It seems to me there would have been some amount of orientation to the idea of like, here's the steps. You're going to have a badge. They're going to ask you these questions. This is the boy in the ocean. Then we have another 10 hours and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I think that would have been more knowledgeable. All I can think is that maybe in the adrenaline of the moment of thinking you got her and thinking you, you're you ready to go out, that the, all the blood drained from, from Moira's head because it was like, oh my God, I forgot about that obstacle. If I'm Moira and and I find my June, I got to think that I do the same thing and just figure it out as we go along. I would think we'll hide her. It's a big boat. There's some way to hide her. And that's probably what Moira did. I mean, that is what Moira did, (laughs) trying to look at when when she's caught and she has to kind of look around the the galley where they're in. Maybe she can fit in a cabinet or (laughs) whatever her ideas were. So scary. So scary. Oh, my God. When they had that roundtable discussion then of the staff, did you think they should have that in front of June the way that they did with everyone weighing in and commentary? Did you think that that was particularly cruel to have people be like, we should hand her over? Like, what did you feel about that conversation? I didn't even think of the idea of not having it in front of June. I mean, when you think of like the the cruelty to which June has been party and observer to in her recent life. This doesn't really even stand out. <laughs> you you know? and I know that, but the but the staffers don't know that. I mean, they can make whatever guesses in their head, but the guy who could look at her in the eye and say, I think we should give her back, I don't think has a full breadth of knowledge of exactly what's happened to her. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I thought that that was kind of a lot to have to go through. I mean, I'm, I'm glad that they had it out loud for the audience because I think it is important to show the, the differing opinions. There was pluses and minuses to saving her and and to leaving people behind. And, you know, we have Una and Moira have a lot of argument even, you know, on land about don't you think we have to leave people behind? Like Una's had to do it, too. This is something that we're having to do on the regular in order to have the greater good. But Una's not in charge of the greater good. She's in charge of that team. She's only looking at it in terms of that relief mission. That's true, because if you want to think of like the truly greater good, it's like the world, right? Yeah. And it's not better for the world that anyone stays in Gilead. Another perspective might be that it's better that someone with that knowledge, like June caused the trouble that she did because she figured out a lot more about the way the place works than some of the other people that they've gotten. And Una probably doesn't know fuck all about the Waterford case and what that might mean mm. to Canada and the and the remains of the United States government and how instrumental June might be to screwing their lives, you know, and yeah. how much more important that may be than these relief things to Chicago. For Especially a while. given that the reality is after the bombing happens, is it even realistic for Una to think that it would be safe to trust ceasefires and have relief missions continue? Bingo. So then in that case, it's like, why are you even so worried about it? Like, obviously, we can't trust them to do these relief efforts in the way we were doing them. So they're going to end anyway. That would be my two cents. If I was running this staffer meeting, 
Right. <laughs> That's what I would holler out. <laughs> Get your head out your ass, Una. Okay, so then we get to this super tension-filled situation. Una has decided, no, safest thing, hand her over. We see the Gileadian boats coming towards us. What did you think was going to happen between Moira, Una, and June in that moment? I did not see Una caving because she had been so steadfast up until that point. It did create a a lot of drama. (laughs) The fact that all it took was like a forged ID and a vest and that that was enough to be like, she's been on the crew the whole time. And then they, why would they be able to- What the fuck were you holding back for then, Oon? I mean, come on. Question mark, question mark, question mark. Why would you keep a badge maker on the ship? Like that seems like you hand out the badges at the office where your background checked and all that kind of stuff, right? But like the only point of having a badge maker on the boat would be to what? Make badges. Make a badge on the fly. (laughs) And if we're not doing that for anyone, why you got this? Why even have one extra vest? Why do you have anything (laughs) here that could be used? I'm like, what? In that case, you're like, if you had multiple extra vests, why don't you put some vests on some of those people at the border? Una! Una's holding out on us. She super is. Well, did you think that we were going to make it through old Rachel Smith in uh, with her question with the officer there? No. The cliche camera push in on June's face that has become a hallmark mm-hmm. of this show. Yes. It's hard to know if those things happen in real time or if they're just sort of like moments out of time that are just there for us, the viewer. In reality, the world is still happening around June, but the camera is in her face. So when they did that and she was kind of spacing out, trying to find her words, I wonder if that's what it's like when people ask me questions. Yes, it is, Paul. And I'm like, are you going to answer me? <laughs> and I'm and I'm waiting and I'm and I'm I'm there just picturing the camera like coming closer to me slowly and no, and I'm just like, this is not happening in real time, but it is. And we're all just waiting for June to say, you're from Saskatoon, which is where I said that I would be from <laughs> if I was from the Canadian boat. Saskatoon. That's super funny. Or Medicine Hat or some other charming <laughs> Canadian sounding city. I've been like, I ran the vending machine where you can get live bait. Because that's real in Canada. <laughs> That's the thing I know. I used right. to work at a Timmy's. Give her a toonie to put in her in her pocket. That'll help her look <laughs> legit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do that. Thank God Moira spoke up and was able to be like more casual and like, hey, surely got hit in the head. And man, hope none of the people you know got hurt and, you know, tried to divert. I was happy for Moira to do that. It was so important. And again, Moira linking arms with June, even from afar. Moira is doing everything she She's doing God. God's can. work, Paul. In, in God's this, work. The, the scenes leading up to this, this scene, the next scene. Let's talk about it. Go for it. June is like that dog that you take care of and you bought for $1,000. And then and then when you're not looking, they run out of the yard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is a lot like that. I don't know what the heck I would do in Moira's situation. I think she played it really smart to just give in. To this idea that, okay, fine, you want to leave. We're here at the lifeboat. You're up here unbuckling stuff, which 
am I wrong to assume uh, that the staff would not keep eyes on one another and especially not on the rogue one? Like, why is she like always like mousing around, like find her up on the, you know, only Moira. There's no one else anywhere. I know. Guess what? Because COVID, that's why you guys. But still, I mean, I thought it was a little silly that she would have made it all the way there and no one would have been like, get off of that. It's not safe. <laughs> like, you know, like something. But, you know, Moira tries to reason with her. Do you think it was fair to be so scared that this was going to be this deal breaker for Luke? Like, I can't show back up without Hannah. This is not, it is not acceptable. Totally fair. I mean, I mentioned that she wasn't playing dirty before, but she was using all the tools that she had. But that it, this proved that she couldn't let up on the gas either. I mean, there are some versions of this story where Moira catches her doing that and just conks her on the head with an oar and knocks her out for the next <laughs> 10 hours and be like, that concussion was terrible. Yeah. You know? I bet you had some crazy delusional <laughs> dreams. Right. Like us hanging out by the lifeboat. <laughs> <laughs> That'd have been a completely legit way to handle this too. Well, and to be honest with you, the way that these stories go, it would have been legit for Moira to get hurt in some way because June's unbuckled all the safety buckles and fastens and stuff that what if it swung around and smacked Moira in the head, knocked her off the boat or something like that? Like we've seen comrades of June get taken down because June chugga chugga choo choo. Oh my, that was mean. <laughs> very mean I mean yeah I mean her indecisiveness in that moment with Aunt Lydia back by the train if she, had she just killed Lydia and they hadn't spent an extra couple seconds there trying to decide whether or not to fuck with Lydia almost for sure alive she was only three steps off and those yeah. steps could have been taken yeah so this is the thing I think there could have been some higher stakes played out there besides just friendship there could have been some actual physical peril there on the top of a ship in, at night yeah yeah. Would you have liked that or not? Did they need something else? I guess it wouldn't have been really in the style of the way that, that the women have been dealing with each other in the show, but I also wouldn't have thought that it would have been crazy. Moira has put basically everything on the line. She has learned just before this that not only has she been fired, but she's no longer has a girlfriend. Mm -hmm. So her emotions are running even higher than they were just having saved your ass from a bombing. You know, Absolutely. so yeah. yeah, an oar across the back of the head. <laughs> it would have been reasonable. I'm with you. Were you shocked that they actually made the journey all the way to Canada? That she didn't try to do anything else, that they that the boat didn't get diverted, that they weren't boarded by yet another pirate boat or something coming to get <laughs> MREs like Nighthawks followed them and la la la. I mean, really, there was no other calamity that they had to deal with. No. Once we had trying to not get on the boat and then the inspection thing and then trying to get off the boat. I mean, that's, that's enough. That's three things, right? So mm -hmm. that's enough of that <laughs> business. The idea that Luke would blame her for not coming back with Hannah, did that sit well with you? Did that feel right? Given the, what we've seen of Luke and did that feel like how Luke would, would treat her? Her fear was was that was what that was her rationale for wanting to turn back and guide this this lifeboat back into Gilead. I know that she's had a concussion. She's not thinking rationally. This is a stupid idea, but this is her guiding thought was that she couldn't show up without Hannah because Luke would blame her for not coming back. It's very Jack Pearson 
with the dog that somehow Kate would blame him for not getting the dog out of the fire. So he goes back in. We make a lot of irrational decisions, make choices that don't make sense to our safety or anything like that. When we think that we would be letting someone down. I mean, that was a dog, (laughs) you know, and this is their kid. I mean, I think that there was also like an unspoken agreement between Luke and June that that somehow, somehow she would keep tabs on Hannah and be able to protect her once they got pulled apart in the woods. Mm -hmm. That somehow because they were getting pulled off together somewhere, the last image he has of them is them together being pulled off somewhere. The idea of just one of you coming back, you might feel like it like breaks this unspoken agreement that I that I will always protect her and I will bring her back with me. This reminds me of way back when in episode seven from the first season, when uh, we are learning of Luke's fate and the note that she sent through the Mexican diplomats back to him said, I love you so much. Save Hannah. It was almost like she was almost admitting in that moment, and I know she's learned a lot since then, you can do more good Mm. from Canada. It's like she almost knew what Moira was telling her here in this moment. Mm -hmm. I hear what you're saying a little bit that she passed the baton back to Luke and said, basically, my hands are tied here. I can't do anything. I need you to do something more from the outside. Does that seem right? Exactly. After four and a half seasons of Handmaid's Tale, does this reunion match up to what you had hoped for or expected? Or did it come seem to come too soon or too easy or not hard enough? Hmm. That's such a good question because, you know, I'm, I'm surprised at myself to not have ever envisioned their reunion. I, I never really thought about what it would look like when they finally got back together. I guess it was all very fresh eyes for me. Like I was just watching it as it unfolded. I appreciated how it it played out in terms of they didn't rush it. You know, they took some time to both sort of even sort of be like, I can't believe my eyes, you know, what I'm seeing. There was a lot of like small movements in their faces. And, you know, I you could just see a lot of thought going on while they just kind of stared at each other. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could replay it all and it's, and, and it's, Pretty good acting, you know, because they're not big for for the back row seats kind of emotional looks. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's kind of a, a small smile that, that fades when she feels the weight of not having Hannah. And there's like you mentioned that kind of just that what's wrong look that he gives where he just cocks his head just a little bit and, and squints. It's, it's it's good stuff as, as acting goes. Yeah, I, I thought it was great. And it really... It really showed the layers of what both of them were feeling. And that they still had a language, a body language together. Yeah, which is comforting, I think, for the audience to see that, like, they can have that that nonverbal just vibe off of each other for a minute and, and really understand what, what what's happening here. So let's move to them actually walking off the boat. I have to tell you, I was a little weirded out about how that happened because... If it were me, I would be clinging on Luke's arm. Like I would be holding him and I would want him to hold my hand so tight because I think I would have, I'm not even going to say an irrational fear. I think a very well-founded fear that someone was going to snatch me at any given time and pull me back onto the boat or pull me to another place. 
So I don't think I would lose physical contact with Luke the entire time. And they are like feet apart. I mean, many feet apart. It was kind of unnerving for me. That part really weirded me out. I, it made me anxious that like, what is going to happen? This doesn't seem safe. <laughs> he was several feet ahead. Like he had kind of forgotten what he was there to do. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm sure it was just like, it was a single person walking space and maybe it was even a COVID social distancing thing. You know, maybe there's like more to it than we're really, you know, thinking about production wise, but it just really felt like I would not be able to sleep without, you know, Luke or Moira right next to me. I would not be able to, I would not be able to do anything besides like much less walk off that boat for that first time. I mean, I would be like, oh my God, I just need to hold on. However, this is not the Luke and Handmaid's Tale. This is the Handmaid's Tale. So it was most definitely her walking off the boat alone. Right, exactly. The idea that you would be so thankful to touch Canadian soil to us living right now is a little like, okay, but but if you put yourself in her shoes, it's, it's like, this is actual freedom the the freedom that she was experiencing in the barn when she when we were wondering what was that look she was giving the other handmaids as they were dancing and frolicking with the local men and the idea of accepting this kind of watered down freedom is maybe the best they could get and her displeasure with it and then to like totally soak up this now i'm in a free country yeah. moment it, it really built to it i actually exhaled about a millisecond before she did like when her feet hit, I went, oh, and then she goes, oh, and I was like, man, that was a lot to get to where we are. I joked last time that what is she going to be captaining the space shuttle in the next episode? I didn't know we would be in Canada in the next episode. So I am pretty floored at the speed of all this. She almost piloted a boat. She almost piloted a boat. That kind of counts. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, I'm really looking forward to what happens next. This is Caroline. This is Paul. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.